Have you noticed, if you live in the U.S., that this is an election year? And Jesus is not even worried. And it's not because he knows that God is in control. Um, we live in a world where, for very good reasons, for a finite period of time, God is allowing there to be lots of kingdoms, lots of people in control, lots of stuff who could do real damage. So no, it's not that. It's about the nature of his kingdom, and that's what we're learning about together. The greatest teacher of all time and the most influential talk ever given said that what's insurmountable is not your problems, not the corruption in this world, not human power at all. It is the presence of what he called the kingdom of God in our midst. And so you can make this a golden rule day, and that will take a certain kind of power. And that's what I want to talk about. This is We've entered into the season of Lent. It's a wonderful reflection to begin to think about Jesus self-sacrifice and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the true nature of power. So I'll start with this, and I'm very uh, uh, indebted, by the way, to Daniel Napier in his book, Soul Whisperer, for what I want to talk to you about today. It's just the absolute brilliance of Jesus. Um, we think one way about power. One day, James and John come to Jesus. Would you let us sit, one on your right, one on your left, when you come into glory? We often think power is about proximity to the throne and um, social status and so. And it's very interesting. Jesus asks them, can you drink the cup I'll have to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism by fire? These are images of suffering. They ask, can we have power? And he asks about their capacity for suffering. And then the other disciples hear about this conversation. And Napier says, a good literal translation is they come unglued. They just come undone because they already know Jesus is number one when it comes to power. And, and the disciples want to be two and three, James and John do. So then at best, they're left with number four. That's not much. So Jesus calls them all together. Now, this is just remarkable. Again, we're reflecting on how he says in the Sermon on the Mount that salvation, uh, everything we want, deliverance, to be able to be alive means access to the kingdom of God. And that's God acting in power or strength. So Jesus gathers the disciples together, explains power to them. You think you know what it is, you don't know what it is. Keep listening. He supplies a simple contrast between the sort of power known to the Gentiles or the nations and a very different kind of power exercised within God's project. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those presumed to rule the nations lord it over them, and their big men exercise authority over them. It's not that way among you. Rather, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, here's what I had never noticed before. Often in our world, people who understand how power works and how money works will say that most folks tend to be pretty naive. Often Christians tend to be pretty naive. They're not willing to slug it out. They're, they're afraid. They're too timid to actually get in and mix it up and discover who's really calling the shots, who's really making decisions, and how much does money and fear and power really influence that. And often that's very true. There is a kind of naivete that very often characterizes people, very often characterizes people in the church. But 
There is a deeper level. And Jesus, who is the least naive person who ever lived, and you just think about this, he is utterly brilliant. He is saying that the money and power guys have a kind of naivete at work. Now listen to this. I'd never noticed this before. He begins by saying, you know that those presumed to rule the nations. Now why does he put it like that? Those guys, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, they were not prisoners. They ruled. Man, with an iron fist. They'll kill you if you don't do what they want you to do. Jesus is claiming that this type of power, coercive power, is ultimately illusory. It's more about what seems to be than what really is. Notice his words in verse 42. There's a range of legitimate translations. Those who seem to be leaders, those who are thought of as princess, those who are considered to be rulers of the nations. Power over others is not yet true power. We see this again when Jesus calls Herod this fox. Go tell that fox. In our day, we think of foxes as sly creatures. In the ancient world, they were thought of as pretenders. Lions were the really tough guys. Foxes would be seen scavenging over what life. So they were wannabe lions. Now, Jesus is absolutely brilliant, and he has thought out what he wants to do this mission that is the kingdom of God, that is a project that's going to go on and change hearts for thousands of years through millions and millions of lives. And he knows coercive power will not do it, not just because it's bad, but because it's too limited. Napier gives some thought experiments. Imagine that you hold this power. Usually it involves money, uh, physical intimidation, ability to destroy people's reputation or so on, but it's limited. So I could physically intimidate you, but if you get real strong, my ability to do that lessens if your capacity grows or if your goodness grows. You know, the Nazis had pretty limited power over Dietrich Bonhoeffer because the goodness of his character was such that they could say, we're going to hang you. Go ahead, do yours. Same thing with money. I might have a lot of money. If I got a lot of money, I might be able to make you do lots of things, sell drugs for me or kill somebody or so. But if you get a lot of money then my power over you is increasingly limited. And if you grow in goodness, my ability to threaten you will grow increasingly limited. The nature of coercive power is quite limited. And that is why the people who have had it a lot, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Joseph Stalin, who is looking to them in our day for inspirations and guidance in their actual lives? And Jesus saw this. And we see this just in that one tiny little phrase. Those who are thought to be rulers, those who are thought to be, that might be you right now. Now you think about this. He was utterly brilliant. And we seek humility in the way of the cross during the season of Lent, not because it's religious, not because it's devout, not because it's naive, because it's true. It's the way things are in the kingdom that matters. Jesus uh, shifts then from those who are thought to be rulers to true greatness. But if you want to be great, truly great. And uh, when he's talking about true greatness, the peer writes, genuine effectiveness with reach is a different thing. A guru might vote to call somebody a prince or a leader, but no one can be voted into greatness. Greatness is inherent. 
It's the quality of a person's character and action expressed in particular circumstances. While power over can only reach so far, I'll force you, I'll make you, I'll hurt you. Jesus sees that power under and alongside others through service is potentially unlimited in its effectiveness. When I give myself to make another person better, to elevate and ennoble her or him, there is no external limit to that good that I can produce. And again, you run that thought experiment. Let's say that I elevate and inspire and make someone greater. And then if they grow in their financial capacity, they get more money. Is my power in their life limited? No, 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 no. It's expanded. If they grow in goodness and character, my power over them, uh, my power through them, my power under them is expanded. And Jesus saw it. He knew that coercive power, although in our day we think, man, if you get the power politically, you get the levers, you can make everybody else do what you want to do. Yeah, but that lasts a real short time. Because God has given to every human being the power over their heart. And you cannot force that door open. And that's the power. The power is a real good thing. Power is effectiveness. It's the ability to get things done. But in the kingdom of God, it works under. It comes alongside. And that's why, for example... In John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus has fed the 5,000. The crowd sees this. Man, it's like Moses giving manna. It's like Moses led the people away from Pharaoh. Jesus could do that for us, for Rome. And the text says, Then Jesus, seeing they intended to make him king by force. See, that's what we think power is. And Jesus says, You are stupid if you think that. And all those little folks that you think are... Uh, naive and innocent. Nietzsche uh, accused Christians of being naive and innocent because they didn't really understand it's all about power. And Napier writes that our day, Michel Foucault, maybe most famously, is the one who says there's just coercive power everywhere. Most people don't recognize it. That's what it's all about. Jesus is smarter than all of them. He is smarter than Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, smarter than Nietzsche because he's built this kingdom on true power, true effectiveness that is greatness that serves, that comes along from others, underneath others, to ennoble and elevate and inspire them. And the years pass and the centuries go on, and it just grows and grows and grows. That's the one we love and serve. That is why it remains true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because now this kingdom, this kind of power, this true power that cannot be defeated by time, that is not dependent on coercion, that alone can win and change the human heart, all to the world, kingdoms available to you. So today now, as you just continue to reflect on that fifth chapter of Matthew and the Beatitudes and the surpassing goodness and uh, the truth that Jesus brings us to see about anger and our desires and so, uh, Bring the power that serves under. Look for people today that you can elevate. Look for people today that you can inspire. Look for people today that you can ennoble. Just look for little ways in which you will be able to serve. And you will be doing greater work than Alexander or Julius Caesar or Napoleon or you pick the 
CEO or who's ever, you know, sitting on the right and the left than they ever dreamed of. Make it a golden rule day. You've been listening to Become New with John Orbert, where you can receive 10 minutes of daily teaching about the person you're becoming. If you like what you're hearing, you can head on over to our website, becomenew.com, where John has over 710 minute teachings on the person you're becoming, cataloged in 20 different series covering a range of topics you might be interested in. If you'd like to receive the emails that go along with each episode that include extra resources and discussion questions, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. Lastly, if you have a prayer request, there's a team of us who meet each weekday to pray for listeners just like yourself. You can send your specific request to us at the number 855-888-0444. I'm glad you're here, and we'll catch you next time.